This is church. Good morning, church. Come on, give me some energy. Good morning, church. Give it up. That's awesome. Well, it's a real joy to be with you today. And I just want to begin uh, by offering a prayer and thanksgiving for our pastor who has led us in such great ways. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for our pastor, Greg, and, and thank you for Beth, Lord, we're interceding every day on her behalf. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us today. We need to hear your voice, your impression upon our hearts to do what you are asking us to do for this great faith promise season. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Listen, I walked into my first college class in 1972 in Hartung Hall. Now, let me paint the scene, all right? I was not a Christian when I went to Anderson College. It was a Christian college at the time. That's how old I am because it's now a university. But I walked in that classroom, not a Christian, because I had grown up in Ohio and went to an irrelevant church. Look at me, people. I'm not here to hurt my church, but we didn't believe in anything, man. We didn't believe in, of course, drinking or smoking, but we didn't dance. I took notes to school to say I didn't believe in dancing. I couldn't go see movies. So I, went, I took a note when they went to see Gone with the Wind. You know why we couldn't go, don't you? Because frankly, my dear, I don't give. You thought I was going to say it. I didn't say it. But, you know, I wasn't allowed to go to movies. And so I grew up very conservative, and I decided by 10th grade that the church had nothing to offer me. Aren't you grateful for a relevant church? Come on. Are you grateful for a relevant church? But I remember, my, some of you know this part of my story. My dad was the music pastor and also the youth leader. And so he directed a choir of 100 people. Uh, if you were a woman and in that choir, look at me, women, you couldn't wear makeup or earrings. And even in, as a 10-year-old kid, I knew you would look better with makeup and earrings. Come on. Even I knew that. But this was an irrelevant church. Seriously. Seriously. Just organ and piano. Not to put that down, but it just was irrelevant. The youth group was irrelevant. We didn't go to the prom. We weren't allowed to go to the prom. Uh, I know it's hard to believe this, but I actually was nominated as one of the kings. Come on. Just enjoy that for a moment. Okay. It's all gone away, but don't worry. But uh, I remember not being able to go to the prom. And so I thought, you know, Christianity makes no sense to me. This church doesn't make sense. And so... I bailed out. Now, my dad was a music pastor, so I made a deal with my mom. I didn't want to embarrass him, so I agreed to work in the children's ministry for three years. From my sophomore year, I worked in the children's ministry. And so I would show up at church, never a service, never a service, but I'd show up and work with the kids. And so that's the deal. So now picture, I only went to Anderson College because they recruited me and gave me a scholarship to play basketball and golf. So I went over there, and that's the only reason I was there. I made fun of Christians. I, they had Bible studies on campus. Sometimes they'd pray for me by name, and I'd say, you know, you're embarrassing me, whatever. But here's what I remember. The first class I went to in Bible. Now, you're saying, why did you go to a Bible class? Because they made you take nine hours of Bible. Are you with me? If you go to Taylor, you go to Indiana Wesleyan, you got, you're shaking your head. You got to take nine hours of Bible. So I sat on the back row. There were 300 kids in Hartung Hall, and this little woman kind of crept out. Her name was Dr. Marie Strong. And I was on the back row kind of making fun of the whole scene, and she walked to the podium, and I will never forget what happened next. She leaned into the mic and said, does anybody here know Galatians 2.20? I was hardly paying attention. I thought some kids would kind of raise, nobody, look at me, people, nobody raised their hand. I will not embarrass you to ask you if you know Galatians 2.20. She asked it one more time. Does anybody here know Galatians 2.20? And she saw a young man reach for his Bible. She said, no, don't open that Bible. Does anybody know Galatians 2.20? Now look at me, people. 
The next words she said were these. Everybody in this classroom, leave this room. I can't teach you. I can't lead you. I can't help you if you don't know Galatians 2.20. I walked out the back door laughing, probably said a few choice words because I thought swear words were verbs. Anybody like that? That's what I thought at the time. And I went to the gym because that's why I was there. Now, this has become one of my favorite quotes, so just shout it out when you know what it's from, okay, in the last year. I didn't have the quote at the time, but I'm going to tell you why it's important to me. Sometimes you only need 20 seconds of insane courage and something great will happen. What's it from, people? Come on, college students. What movie? Oh, come on, people. Do you not believe in going to movies either? Good for you. All right. We bought a zoo. Come on, people. Sometimes you only need 20 seconds of insane courage and something great will happen. Listen, I've reflected on my life and that is one of the most true statements I could ever buy into. So I took 20 seconds that night in my room. I did not have a Bible. I found one and I looked up Galatians 2.20. And I love our tradition here at Union Chapel. We stand for the reading of God's word. Would you stand with me? And I want you to look me in the eye. I'm going to quote the verse to you. For I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in and through me. And the life I live in this body, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me. You see, I thought he was mad at me. I thought he would never forgive me. I did not know he loved me and gave his life for me. I'm going to say it one more time. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in and through me. And the life I live in this body, I live through faith in the Son of God Say it with me, who loved me. Say it with me, who loved me and gave his life for me. You may be seated. I went back to that classroom, and no, I did not become a Christian between that day and the next day, but it began my journey because I watched this woman who I'd never met anyone teach on her level. People ask me today, if I had three chapters I could teach in the Bible, look at me, people, it would be the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 15, and 16. You read it later today. Jesus said, I will go to the Father. It will be good for you if I leave this earth because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God will make his home in you. And he said, the Father and I will live through your life. Let me tell you something, people. It's the most important concept in the whole New Testament. Yes, you, giving your life to Jesus is the most radical moment of your life. But if you never learn that he has made his home in you and you can trust every impression from Jesus, you can trust every impression from God's spirit, you can trust every thought that comes from him, you will never live out the life God has for you. And one of the most strange concepts I ever heard can only be understood through Jesus Christ making his home in your life. And I get to teach it today. It's a concept that our church calls faith promise. I heard about faith promises a year after I became a Christian. I was 19 years old when I came to Christ. And then I heard about this concept. Simply stated. You ready? Simply stated. And I'm going to teach you one other phrase before I teach you this phrase. Ready? God led me over these years to share God's stories in my life. And I wrote a book called What Are the Odds? Okay? 
What are the odds? So every time today that I hold my hands out like this, with great energy and sarcasm, you're going to go, what are the odds? Are you ready to practice? Ready? What are the Oh, come on, with more energy than that. Ready? What are the Okay, now every time I hold my hands out, you're going to say that, all right? Now, the faith promise concept is simply this. Over the next week, we're going to ask you to trust God with this verse, Hebrews 11:6. You ready? They can put it up there for you. Ready? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So you have to believe that God could speak to you and he will reward you if you earnestly seek what he has to say to your life. So we're going to ask you about this concept. Would you pray about an amount of money that you would be willing to pass on for great missions throughout this church in Kazakhstan and in, in blood and fire downtown in planting churches? Would you pray about an amount of money that you would pass on to missions here at Union Chapel, if God, look at me, if God gave it to you in an unusual way that you weren't counting on. Did you hear that? Now, that's the old definition. Sometimes now we say, well, just pray about something that you would give out of your present income. That's not what I believe. Faith promise is giving what God lays on your heart that God will provide in an unusual way. Say with me, what are the odds? Oh, come on, a little better than that. What are the odds? Because you know what? I grew up not making very much money. I planted a church, as you guys know, in 1987. 1987, I planted a church in Phoenix, Arizona. And my salary, look at me, was $22,000. I could not give out of my wealth, but I could always listen to God if he said, I'll give you this extra money for missions if you'll pass it on to me. So faith promise became so important to me. As I shared with Pastor Greg my stories about faith promise, he said, you're going to preach faith promise Sunday. And so literally, I just want to share with you some stories over the years. Now, I did faith promise for 10 years until I was 30 until I met a man by the name of Cliff Tierney in our particular movement who challenged me to keep track every year of how God provided the faith promise in my life. So this morning, I'm going to share some stories with you that I have kept in my catalog of, of how God has provided. So um, let's, let's, let's pull out here. Let's look at, uh, well, I love 1991. By the way, I made a two, listen, I was making at the time 23.9, and I made a 2,000 faith promise. Now, you got to enjoy this, ready? I drove an AMC wagon for 13 years because I was a church planter. Come on, people. That's an ugly car on top of that. My kids were so embarrassed they wouldn't let me drop them off at school. No, I had to be like about a half mile away. Then they'd walk the rest of the way. But then one day in 1991, I found a dark green LeBaron convertible with a tan top and gold-spoked wheels. Is anybody excited out there? You people are all white, man. Come on, this is an awesome car. And I bought that, and people made fun of me, even my kids. I loved this car so much, and I drove it with pride, and people made fun of their past. We'd never had two cars. We still had that AMC wagon, but I had this dark green LeBaron convertible in Phoenix, Arizona. But I'll never forget the day how it felt, when it felt like the whole bottom of the car fell out, and the transmission fell out. And I crept to this automotive place where I had met a young guy that had come to church a couple times. 
And he looked at me and said, I got some bad news for you at your transmission, man. He is, I don't want to pick on Chrysler. He said, they're famous for this. And he said, he said this is going to be close to $1,800 to $2,000. And I'll never forget, I left there very discouraged. And then he called me in three days and said, hey, I got some good news. I said, hey, did you get some used parts? He goes, no, I want to tell you in person. I went back to the shop to get that car. Look at me, people. I went back to that shop. And he said, look at me. Somebody paid your entire bill. They saw you drive in here. I'm not allowed to tell you who it is. Somebody shout. Oh, you people, listen. I brought a sign that says, work with me, people. Work with me. Work with me. Don't worry about that. And I had tears coming down my face. I didn't know for 10 years that Steve Gilbert, he did not see me creep in there. Steve owned the largest plumbing company in Phoenix. One of his workers, he employed over 300 men, called him that day and said, I think your pastor is in trouble. And that man paid my $2,000 bill, and I gave that to Faith Promise. What are the odds? Now, I could remember these without the sheet, but let me get this here. What are the odds I could actually reach down there and get that? Oh, this is one of my fun stories, right? 1993. Another car. I got rid of that LeBaron after I got it fixed. My neighbor sold me a yellow GTO, man, like a 1980, whatever. And it didn't have reverse for $500. Come on, people. It didn't have reverse. Do you know how intelligent you have to be to drive in Phoenix for four years without reverse? You had to park correctly. You can never go to a parking garage. I was doing hospital visits. I was parking out on the street in the final slot. Are you impressed? $500. But then let me make you laugh. Every year, another gear would go. Come on. I drove it for a year in third. I drove it for a year in second. Come on, people. My son said I should write a book, not entitled What Are the Odds? I should write a book called Stupid Stories My Dad Tells that are really true. And they are. And I bought this from Alan, my neighbor. Now, if you think this is about money, you're wrong. This is always about what God is doing in people's lives. So Alan sold me this car, and I drove it till it had one gear left, and someone ran into the back of that car. <laughs> Have you ever been so blessed? Listen, I had made a $1,000 faith promise. Does anyone want to take a wild guess at how much I got from the insurance company for the GTO? $1,000. Somebody shout. Unbelievable. And I told that story at church, man. That's awesome. But listen, you know what was important? Alan, my neighbor, came to Christ because of that story. Alan was killed the next year in a helicopter accident. He, he flew for the service. He was a Marine. Chrissy became so dear to us and her two girls, and we loved her the next, the next 14 years while we pastored there. And then she moved to Hawaii. She met a neat gentleman, and, she, and, and we still stay in touch today. And she talks about that yellow GTO because it brought Alan to Christ. Let's see what happened. Oh, I like 1988. My hot water heater went out. Come on, people. Hey, when you only make 20-some thousand dollars and you're a church planter, you pray for anything, to, for anybody to help you. And I did not know the gentleman that put that hot water heater in. And he said, you know, God told me to do this for you. Look at me, people. And we passed that on. Now, this is one of my favorite stories. 
1997. Now, you, you people are just too classy to laugh, but I'm giving you permission to laugh at this story, okay? So don't be uptight that I'm telling you something about my family, okay? I had gone to Honduras with a guy by the name of Paul Keeler. If you ever read my book, this is the story that changed the life of Mountain Park Church. We had grown to just uh, maybe five, 600 people, but I had promised Lorna Kardaski, she's my second mom, I had promised her I'd go and see what her brother had done in Honduras in a place called Cachillas. Her brother was a medical doctor who gave up everything. One of the most brilliant men that we've ever, ever had in our movement gave everything up to provide clean water, silos, pilos, and, and food and clothing and a Bible school for these kids in Honduras. And he went down there wealthy and never left until he was buried in Cachillas. And I told her I would go and see since I knew her at age 20 and I never went. Look at me, people. I never went. I never went until Charlie died. Charlie died in 97. And I called Lorna and I repented. Now I had excuses. I had three little kids. I was planting a church. I didn't have any money, though she said, I will pay your way. I, every excuse I could tell her and then I cried on the phone with her when Charlie died. And I said, Lorna, I will go. And she said, I will pay your way. I was in a worship service. See, Christ lives in and through us, and he speaks to us. And there was a man who always sat on the fifth row, right on the left side of me, on his right, about one out of every four Sundays. And one Sunday morning, God impressed upon me to walk down during the greeting time and meet this man. His name was Paul Keeler. I didn't know why I was supposed to meet him. I just said, hey, I'll give you my number if you want to do lunch this week. He called me. I met him. I said, Paul, I don't want to embarrass you, but you're here about every fourth Sunday. I'm not checking on your attendance. And he looked at me and he said, I'm the vice president, very humbly, of Hilton Hotels, Food and Beverage, United States and all of Europe. I've created every theme restaurant throughout the United States at every Hilton. Unbelievable. You know, we're so judgmental of people that don't come every, aren't we? And people even say, hey, I haven't seen you here lately because we've been out. You guys know we've been planting a church in Marietta. Could we hear it? What are the odds? By the way, 239 the first Sunday, 13 people came to Christ. And then I love telling this story, and I'll get back to the Paul Keeler. I'm not confused. And then the second Sunday, we never, ever don't drop in half. I've planted now, God's helped me plant over 80 churches. You always fall in half, but they stayed over 200. Would you give it up for God? Awesome. You know, I jokingly tell people, I started a church in Phoenix. We had 305 the first Sunday. Then I preached. We were down to 150. Okay, but that's all right. Ryan Miller is fulfilling our first dream. And then Paul's going to plant in the fall. Paul and Tia, listen, say, what are the odds? Now back to Paul Keeler. We judge people for not being here. We're Rob and myself, we doing Marietta. We're out raising money for our capital funds campaign. I said, Paul, would you go to Honduras with me? Since you're in the food and beverage industry, would you help me know what to do where they need food and clean water? So he went. And we went in 1997. And I watched this man who I just got to know. I watched him kneel down in a village. People look at me, still emotional to me. And he canceled with a satellite phone. He canceled the building of his $2 million house. And I said, no, Paul, Paul, I know you're moved. No, no. He said, Judy will understand. We don't need another million dollar home. 
We already have a beautiful home. And he wept. And then I watched this man come back with me, and we had stairs in the front of our church, right in front of the auditorium that, that where we sat, in the, and we were going to build a new building. And he said, I want us to quit giving to the building fund for two months before Easter and give every amount that you have to Faith Promise. And our goal was 50000 You notice our goal is one fifty-three, But our goal was $50,000. He was on the board. We did not ask permission. When you're in a church plant, you ask forgiveness. Come on, people. So he said, we're going to give. And I said, I had tears come down my face. They didn't have clean water. Over the next two months, this is what changed Mountain Park Community Church. People like you gave $223,000. Somebody shout. What are the odds? $223,000. Eventually that led to a church that would get over a half million dollars a year to missions because of one man. By the way, we climbed the mountain there to see Charlie's grave. I love this part because this is what touched me. On the bottom of his tombstone, it said, Charlie was buried in his underwear. Come on. What are the odds? And I said, Miguel... You got to tell me what that means. He goes, oh, Robin. He had tears come down his face. He said, Charlie didn't want to own one thing when he died. He said, I don't want one pair of jeans. I don't want one dollar. I don't want one possession in my possession when I die. Because Jesus said, give it up. And he gave it all away. He used to wear a T-shirt. If you went to Ambassador Mountain, when you left, they gave you a T-shirt. It had a donkey on the back. That was a symbol for heart to Honduras. And underneath it, so don't look so righteous, get ready for this. Charlie said, be an ass for Jesus. Come on, people. <laughs> and that changed my life. And from that day on, I trusted God for more and more faith promise. I made my largest faith promise in 1998 for 5000 I gave you permission to laugh for $5,000 and I was still making less than 30000 And guess what happened? My favorite uncle died. Come on, I told you you could laugh. <laughs> uncle Bob's the most remarkable man I ever knew. We never had money in our family, but Uncle Bob worked at Ford and he never got married and he adopted seven nieces and nephews and he treated us like his children. He, he financed my first album I did in college. I sang with a guy named John. We did an album called Robin and John. We sang that Simon and Garfarkel stuff, you know. We, we, we thought we were good, but what we did is we told every kid we met about Jesus because we found Jesus at college, and he believed in us. We asked a couple other people to help us do the album. They said we, they didn't trust us to pay him back. My uncle said, I not only trust you to pay me back, I don't care if you do or don't, but you will. And we sold a thought. We were 19-year-old guys, man. I was playing basketball. John was playing football. We found Jesus. We were telling thousands of kids about Christ. We sold 1,000 albums to 14-year-old girls. Come on, people. <laughs> Somebody shout, what are the odds? What are the odds? And at the end of that summer, at the end of that summer, we both had cleared over $5,000. And we, we were so in love with Jesus, we felt so guilty. We promised to give 50% away, and we did. I gave it to a missionary in the Philippines, and he gave it to a missionary. Let me tell you something. When God lays on your heart, but I'll get back to the real story now. In 1998, my uncle died. Does anyone want to guess how much money he left me? Oh, nice little guess there. What are the odds? $5,000. And I shared that with our church. And we, we just, we trusted God for everything. 
And so that church moved to give a half million dollars away over the next few years. Listen, here's a, here's a fun story. Here's a real fun one. In 2005, I was getting more and more confident that God could provide, even though I still had gone through the brokenness of my life. I'd gone through divorce. I didn't have a job for six months. But then I made a commitment, again, for this time, $10,000. And I went to work, not for Chesapeake Energy at this point, but I went to work for a guy named Mr. Tom Ward, who asked me to help him build a boy's home in Oklahoma City. I'd gone through a divorce. I was unemployed. And then he told me, you'll never meet my partner, Aubrey McClendon, because we both are worth $4 billion, and we don't have to ask each other for anything. So you need to raise some money for me. Uh, the state won't match my money for the home. So he challenged me to raise $250,000 a year and another $2 million. And he said, now, you'll never meet my partner, but he said, you just pray about it and go out and talk to people about the vision for this boy's home. Look at me, people. I did one wedding in Oklahoma City in my brokenness. I've done over 1,200 weddings in my life, but say it with me. One wedding. Say one wedding in Oklahoma City. In a backyard with 32 people. I did not know John Gwynn and Tiffany. I did not know that John was Aubrey McClendon's trainer. And I did this wedding and Aubrey McClendon walked up to me after the wedding and said, I can't say it in church. He said, you're darn good, but he didn't say darn. Come on, enjoy it. He said, I will meet with you Monday morning. I said, Aubrey, I'm not allowed to meet with you. Tom Ward told me I couldn't. He said, well, you tell Tom Ward, I decided I want to meet with you. And he asked me Monday morning, what's your vision? I said, I want to plant 100 churches. We had planted four churches, and I want to get money to this boy's home that the state won't match Tom's money. He goes, how much will it cost to plant 100 churches? I said, $20 million. He didn't blink in the next 30 seconds. He said, I'll do 5.2 million. I had tears coming down my face. And then he said, when you walk across the parking lot, you tell Mr. Tom Ward, you met me, and he has to match what I just did. Come on, people. Somebody shout. And it changed my life. And then he got to know me, and he bought this crazy little book that I had to literally sometimes give away. He bought 5,000 books for me to give to employees because these are all stories about God being faithful. But God isn't about money. Aubrey didn't know Christ. Look at me, people. And he let me share Christ with him because God's not about money. He's about people coming to know him. Are you with me? Somebody shout, what are the odds? And that year, because he bought my books, I was able to give the largest faith promise ever. Let me tell you something, people. This isn't, if you hear this about me, you don't understand me at all. I've been so unfaithful at times. I've repented to God for not trusting when I should keep trusting. When my life fell apart in 2004, no one believed in me. Look at me, in 2014, your pastor walked back this aisle at a Christmas Eve service. It was packed out. It, actually, it was this aisle right here. And I sat in the back because I was at times so ashamed of my life. And I had not seen him since he was 27 years old in any face-to-face. -face. And he walked back and I said, 
Pastor, you never do this. Robin Wood, he said he remembered me. I said, here's my New Year's resolution, that I take you out for a meal to thank you for all you've done in your preaching. He touched my life every week. I would sit back there and cry. He preached from Isaiah 6, 8 one Sunday. Who shall I send? Send me. And I sat there and wept. I said, it doesn't have to be your New Year's Eve request, but I will take you to dinner. And he said, you call Chrissy. I didn't know who Chrissy was. You call Chrissy and we'll have a meal in January. I met him to thank him for all he had meant to me. I met him when I was 27. I knew how special he was. He preached one sermon before I left town and I told him he was going to build a great church. I followed your story every year when you went to the high school. I went to Casper, Wyoming, and then I went to Phoenix to plant a church, and I ask about your story every year. When you bought the Ford dealership, I have no doubt people told him he was crazy. Come on, somebody shout, what are the odds? And now I know the story, and people did tell him he was crazy. But your pastor's not crazy. Look at me, your, your pastor's an apostle. Your pastor is a prophet. Come on, I'm not putting him on a pedestal. Come on, you can give it up for that. Your pastor went to eat with me. All I did was thank him. And he said, hey, I heard you wrote a book. So I gave him my water. The I didn't bring it in with me at Red Lobster. And I paid for the bill, guys. Come on. I, I went to my car and I gave him one. It had some water markings on it. He never read it. But Beth Paris read it. Come on, people. <laughs> Beth Paris. She doubles for the Holy Spirit in that family. Come on. And she said, Greg Paris, you have prayed for somebody that can do what Robin, God has used Robin to do. He never read the book. She said, you want to plant churches, reach out to Robin, and he did. Now, he met with me. I've never shared this except in private settings. He said, look, I know about a dark moment in your life, and your pastor forgave me. He said, you'll never hear about that from me. He said, I know you've repented. And he said, I believe God still wants to use you again. And I told him about that sermon who shall I send? And I asked him to lay hands on me and send me again. And he did two years ago. And I want you to know, because you guys have a prophet and an apostle, God's going to use this church to change the world. We're gonna, we'll plant more than 10 churches in 10 years. But it won't be because of us. It'd be because God gave your pastor a vision. Somebody say, what are the odds? What are the odds? Now, I got two more stories to tell you. I said, Greg, if you trust me to preach, he said, I want you to tell one story for sure. He said, that's about Mike and Karen. When we moved to Phoenix, when we moved to Phoenix, now, first of all, let me tell you this. I told you about the four steps to make a faith promise. Put them up there real quick. Ask God to impress upon you an amount on your heart. Be willing to make a promise to God for that amount. Number three, trust God's faithfulness. And number four, be expectant and faithful to give what God promised to give you. So I've been teaching this for years now. When I moved to, to Phoenix, Mike and Karen, you know, Mike and Karen were neighbors. You know, I preached three times. I haven't told you this story, have I? No, say no. When you preach three times, you feel like you're going crazy. I think, have I already told? They're looking at me like, I think you just told this story. No. This is a great moment. When we moved in this neighborhood, we began to evaluate who might come to our church. 
Mike and Karen were so cold. They lived right across the street. Mike considered himself an atheist. He let me know real quick he didn't want to meet me. He found out I was a pastor. We looked down the block. We thought Kevin and Lori might come. They were really friendly. But they never came to church, but we became great friends with them. And we met Will and Jean up the street. They were great. Will came one time. But I'll never forget, we were kind of hoping to be friends with the Grays because they had a swimming pool. Come on, people. <laughs> you should do target evangelism. Come on, people. But Mike was real resistant to any friendship. But you know what? Karen had a little boy, Eric, two years old, and our little girl, Annie, was two years old. And they became the best of friends for years. In fact, we had to tell them when they couldn't start having each other over to spend the night. Come on, that's funny. <laughs> they loved each other. And because of our two little kids, because God's never about money, he's about people finding him. So he used our little girl. I'll never forget when Karen invited us to swim that summer, and we loved it. And I got to know Mike. He was still real distant, but we had a faith promise Sunday. Listen to me. And my father-in-law came into town. He's a national leader, and he was a part of, of finding in the Church of God movement the faith promise movement. And so I asked Mike, would you honor, would you honor Karma's family by coming to hear her dad speak? And out of respect, Mike came. And he explained the faith promise story. He said, ask God to impress an amount on your heart and be willing to give it. And then he said this. This is going to blow you away. He said, if you're with your spouse here tonight, go home tonight. Maybe you could go to different rooms and pray and think about it and write on a piece of paper separately what you have impressed from God and see if you get close to each other. He left that service that night, got in the car and said, Karen, that was a real crock there. That was unbelievable. That was the worst thing I've ever seen. He goes, look, I, I want to be polite to Carmen's dad, but here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. We're not going to do that. And Karen, come on, wife, you have my permission now and then to go off on your husband. Come on. She said, Mike, I'm so tired of your cynicism. He simply shared his heart tonight. He told about God providing money for kids that didn't have clean water. And you're making fun of this man? I knew you wouldn't do this. I knew you wouldn't go home and think about what amount we're going to do. Mike, you got to get over yourself. She just went off on him. By the time they got home, Karen said she was exhausted from yelling at him. They went in the house. They didn't talk for a while. And she said, but she had enough nerve to say, okay, since you're so cynical, would you go in a room and think about an amount? And I'll do the same. She goes, I know you're not going to pray. And he said, okay, I'll do it. He said, the only thought in his mind was, I'm not going to write down an even number. Come on, people. <laughs> he said, I went in the room, and he said, I thought, I'm not going to put down 1,000 or 1,500 or 2,000. That's too easy. So he wrote down $1,750. And they got, came out of their rooms. They exchanged papers. Anybody want to shout? Karen had written down, say it with me, $1,750. And you know what he said? I should have put 50 cents. Come on, people. <laughs> he wasn't moved. Don't think this is the end of the story. Oh, no, no, no. He said, see, I knew not to do this. And he walked off angry. He went to work the next day. Look at me, people. This isn't about money. This is about God. Chasing you till he finds you. He went to his desk. And on his desk was an envelope the next Monday morning after Sunday church that he had never gone to but once. And there was an envelope that said, we made a mistake on your raise. We put 
the money we owe you in the envelope. And he opened it up. Look at me, people. Say it with me. $1,750. You're right. What are the odds? $1,750. Look at me, people. He started crying and weeping and falling apart. He went to the restroom to try to pull himself together, but the Holy Spirit was on him so big, he could not quit weeping. He was shaking. So he wrote a note at his desk. I went home sick. He was a big VP, engineer. He went home and walked right to my front door and told me what happened. Look at me, people. He gave his life to Christ. This isn't about money. This is about your life. Because some of us just don't trust God to do anything. God used Mike Gray to help me reconcile with the church up north. Our mother church that had planted Mountain Park had abandoned their support for us in the second year. And I didn't think I could ever bring myself to forgive them. But through Mike Gray, and you had to read my book, he took me up to a service to hear a guy named Ray Brigham. When I told your pastor I knew Ray Brigham, he couldn't quit laughing. He said, Ray's the most eccentric guy I've ever known. But Ray led a repentance service, and before I knew it, someone was kneeling at my feet asking me to forgive them for the way they had treated us as a church plant. And then Pastor Don Doe, who had cut my support off, was kneeling at my feet. This isn't about money, man. This is about Jesus in all of his glory, making his home in us because he loves us and he wants to live his life through us. And five years later, our church, Mountain Park, provided the full support to Don Doe to plant now one of the largest plants in Phoenix, Arizona. People, this is about God changing us forever. Now, I called Greg Monday. I want the worship team to come up. I called Greg Monday and said, Greg, you know, I made a big uh, building fund commitment to reach campaign beyond my ability. And, 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 and then we want to give here at the church. I said, last year I made a faith promise. Look at me, people. I asked Greg on Monday, Pastor Greg, Greg, I've only given half of my faith promise and I'm preaching on it. And it hasn't been supplied in an unusual way. So I said, I gave $500 a few months ago. God hadn't provided it, and that's okay in any unusual way. I just felt I should give it. You'd asked me to preach on this, so I kind of gave it in faith. But I've not given the final amount. And I said, can I share that story with the congregation? It's not because God's not faithful. I just haven't received that in an unusual way. He said, I think that would be good, Robin. He said, I appreciate your vulnerability. He said, why don't you just tell that story, that you, you didn't give all your faith promise. Okay. So I had that conversation Monday. Then Tuesday, I'm coming to staff, and I had to go by my bank because I just opened an LLC because I'm helping some other church plants, and I'm helping some other churches. I'm on contract with you guys, and Greg's been real gracious. Let me have a couple other contracts. And um, so I had set up Robin Wood Ministries LLC. My accountant said I needed to do that to be legit with the tax situation. And so they had opened an account for me three to four weeks ago. But do you have an app on your phone? Like at Chase, we have this app that you can look at all your accounts at once. So I have my accounts over here. And then my LLC was in a different account. They weren't merged together. Are you with me? Simple little story. 
So I called Tammy, my personal banker down here at Tillotson and Jackson. I said, hey, Tammy, can you help me merge those accounts so when I look up, I can see all the accounts? So I went in. She said, it takes five minutes. She merged the accounts, and she looked up from the desk. I'm on my way to staff. You ready for this? And I said, hey, thanks so much. She said, no, I got to tell you something. You have an account here that was shut down three years ago. Do you know that? I said, oh, no, that's not me. She goes, yeah, it's an LLC. I said, I don't have another LLC. She said, yeah, it says, what are the odds, LLC? Come on, people, someone shout. I said, you're kidding. Oh, I said, you know what? I opened that like years ago. I didn't know I even had that. I said, I did that for my books because I gave them away and all that kind of stuff. And she said, well, you have money in that account. I said, don't talk, don't talk. I go, before you tell me how much money, and I want to tell you what my faith promise was this year. And she looked up and said, bingo. I said, Tammy, when would have I found out I had this account? She said, probably when you die. Come on, people. She said, if you didn't respond to us over the last three years, it would have sat here until you discovered it. And probably in your estate, it would have come out. Does anybody want to shout? And God allowed me to give my full faith promise this morning because, ready? Anyone who believes in God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So would you say with me, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in and through me. And the life I live in this body, I live through faith in the Son of God. I want you to shout, who loved me and gave his life for me. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, would you move in this moment? Over the next week, I ask that you impress on everybody's heart here what they could do, what you will provide for them, and that they would be faithful that we will have what are the odd stories all over this church to say God provided an amount that I trusted him with. And with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want you by a show of hand, if God has spoken to you today to have faith to make a promise and you will pray this week about an amount to turn in next Sunday, would you simply raise your hand in this moment all over this place? Wow, young people, older people, awesome. Raise your hand right now. Say, I will make that decision this week. I will ask God to speak to me. Now look up at me. Jesus paid it all. Your commitment is about you knowing him because he's going to be faithful to give that. Would you pray all week for that? Let's stand together and sing, Jesus paid it all.